Chapter 10 of Animals of the Past by Frederick Lucas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Smith. The Mammoth. His legs were as thick as the bowl of the beach, his tusks as the buttonwood white, while his lithe trunk wound like a sapling around an oak in the whirlwind's might. In the October number of McClure's Magazine for 1899 was published a short story, The Killing of the Mammoth, by H. Tuchemin, which, to the amazement of the editors, was taken by many readers not as fiction, but as a contribution to natural history. Immediately after the appearance of that number of the magazine, the authorities of the Smithsonian Institution, in which the author had located the remains of the beast of his fancy, were beset with visitors to see the stuffed mammoth, and the Daily Mail of the magazine, as well as that of the Smithsonian Institution, was filled with inquiries for more information and for requests to settle wagers as to whether it was a true story or not. The contribution in question was printed purely as fiction, with no idea of misleading the public, and was entitled A Story in the Table of Contents. We doubt if any writer of realistic fiction ever had a more general and convincing proof of success. About three centuries ago, in 1696, a Russian, one Ludloff by name, described some bones belonging to what the Tartars called Mamantu. Later on, Blumenbach pressed the common name into scientific use as Mammut, and Cuvier gallicized this into Mammoth, whence by an easy transition we get our familiar mammoth. We are so accustomed to use the word to describe anything of remarkable size that it would be only natural to suppose that the name mammoth was given to the extinct elephant because of its extraordinary bulk. Exactly the reverse of this is true, however, for the word came to have its present meaning because the original possessor of the name was a huge animal. The Siberian peasants called the creature Mamantu, or ground-dweller, because they believed it to be a gigantic mole, passing its life beneath the ground and perishing when, by any accident, it saw the light. The reasoning that led to this belief was very simple and the logic very good. No one had ever seen a live Mamantu, but there were plenty of its bones lying at or near the surface. Consequently, if the animal did not live above the ground, it must dwell below. Today, nearly everyone knows that the mammoth was a sort of big, hairy elephant, now extinct, and nearly everyone has a general idea that it lived in the north. 
there is some uncertainty as to whether the mammoth was a mastodon or the mastodon a mammoth and there is a great deal of misconception as to the size and abundance of this big beast it may be said in passing that the mastodon is only a second or third cousin of the mammoth but that the existing elephant of asia is a very near relative certainly as near as a first cousin possibly a very great grandson popularly the mammoth is supposed to have been a colossus somewhere from twelve to twenty feet in height beside whom modern elephants would seem insignificant but as trout lose much in dressing so mammoths shrink in measuring and while there were doubtless jumbos among them in the way of individuals of exceptional magnitude the majority were decidedly under jumbos size the only mounted mammoth skeleton in this country that in the chicago academy of sciences is one of the largest the thigh bone measuring five feet one inch in length or a foot more than that of jumbo and as jumbo stood eleven feet high the rule of three applied to this thigh bone would give the living animal a height of thirteen feet eight inches the height of this specimen is given as thirteen feet in its bones with an estimate of fourteen feet in its clothes but as the skeleton is obviously mounted altogether too high it is pretty safe to say that thirteen feet is a good fair allowance for the height of this animal when alive as for the majority of mammoths they would not average more than nine or ten feet high sir samuel baker tells us that he has seen plenty of wild african elephants that would exceed jumbo by a foot or more and while this must be accepted with caution since unfortunately he neglected to put a tape line on them yet mr thomas baines did measure a specimen twelve feet high this coupled with sir samuel's statement indicates that there is not so much difference between the mammoth and the elephant as there might be this applies to the mammoth par excellence the species known scientifically as elephas primogenius whose remains are found in many parts of the northern hemisphere and occur abundantly in siberia and alaska there were other elephants than the mammoth and some that exceeded him in size notably elephas meridionalis of southern europe and elephas columbi of our southern and western states but even the largest cannot positively be asserted to have exceeded a height of thirteen feet tusks offer convenient terms of comparison and those of an average fully grown mammoth are from eight to ten feet in length those of the famous st petersburg specimen and those of the huge specimen in chicago measuring respectively nine feet three inches and nine feet eight inches so far as the writer is aware the largest tusks actually measured are two from alaska 
one 12 feet 10 inches long, weighing 190 pounds, reported by Mr. J. Beach, and another 11 feet long, weighing 200 pounds, noted by Mr. T. L. Brevig. Compared with these, we have the big tusk that used to stand on Fulton Street, New York, just an inch under nine feet long and weighing 184 pounds, or the largest shown at Chicago in 1893, which was seven feet six inches long and weighed 176 pounds. The largest, most beautiful tusks probably ever seen in this country were a pair brought from Zanzibar and displayed by Messrs. Tiffany and Company in 1900. The measurements and weights of these were as follows. Length along outer curve, 10 feet and three-fourths of an inch. Circumference, 1 foot 11 inches. Weight, 224 pounds. Length along outer curve, 10 feet, 3 and 1 half inches. Circumference, 2 feet and 1 fourth of an inch. Weight, 239 pounds. For our knowledge of the external appearance of the mammoth, we are indebted to the more or less entire examples which have been found at various times in Siberia, but mainly to the noted specimen found in 1799 near the Lena, embedded in the ice where it had been reposing, so geologists tell us, anywhere from 10,000 to 50,000 years. How the creature gradually thawed out of its icy tomb and the tusks were taken by the discoverer and sold for ivory. How the dogs fed upon the flesh in summer, while bears and wolves feasted upon it in winter. How the animal was within an ace of being utterly lost to science when, at the last moment, the mutilated remains were rescued by Mr. Adams, is an old story, often told and retold. Suffice it to say that, besides the bones, enough of the beast was preserved to tell us exactly what was the covering of this ancient elephant, and to show that it was a creature adapted to withstand the northern cold and fitted for living on the branches of the birch and hemlock. The exact birthplace of the mammoth is as uncertain as that of many other great characters but his earliest known resting place is in the cromer forest beds of england a country inhabited by him at a time when the german ocean was dry land and great britain part of a peninsula here his remains are found today while from the depths of the north sea the hardy trawlers have dredged hundreds a thousands of mammoth teeth in company with souls and turbot. If then the mammoth originated in Western Europe and not in that great graveyard of fossil elephants, northern India, eastward he went spreading over all Europe north of the Pyrenees and Alps, save only Scandinavia, whose glaciers offered no attractions, scattering his bones abundantly by the wayside to serve as marvels for future ages.
Strange indeed have been some of the tales to which these and other elephantine remains have given rise when they came to light, in the good old days when knowledge of anatomy was small and credulity was great. The least absurd theory concerning them was that they were the bones of the elephants which Hannibal brought from Africa. Occasionally they were brought forward as irrefutable evidences of the deluge. But usually they figured as the bones of giants, the most famous of them being known as Tutobacchus, king of the Cimbri, a lusty warrior said to have had a height of nineteen feet. Somewhat smaller, but still of respectable height, fourteen feet, was Little John of Scotland, whereof Hector Boese wrote, concluding in a moralizing tone, Be quick, which it appears how extravagant and squire people grew in our region, afore they were effeminate with lust and intemperance of mouth. More than this, these bones have been venerated in Greece and Rome as the remains of pagan heroes, and later on worshipped as relics of Christian saints. Did not the Church of Valencia possess an elephant tooth which did duty as that of St. Christopher, and, so late as 1789, was not a thigh bone figuring as the arm bone of a saint, carried in procession through the streets in order to bring rain? Out of Europe, eastward into Asia, the mammoth took his way, and having peopled that vast region, took advantage of a land connection then existing between Asia and North America, and walked over into Alaska, in company with the forerunners of the bison and the ancestors of the mountain sheep and Alaskan brown bear. Still eastward and southward he went until he came to the Atlantic coast, the latitude of southern New York roughly marking the southern boundary of the broad domain over which the mammoth roamed undisturbed. Footnote this must be taken as a very general statement, as the distinction between and habitats of Elephas primogenius and Elephas columbi, the southern mammoth, are not satisfactorily determined. Moreover, the two species overlap through a wide area of the west and northwest. End of footnote. Not that of necessity all this vast area was occupied at one time, but this was the range of the mammoth during Pleistocene time, for over all this region his bones and teeth are found in greater or less abundance and in varying conditions of preservation. In regions like parts of Siberia and Alaska, where the bones are entombed in a wet and cold, often icy, soil, the bones and tusks are almost as perfectly preserved as though they had been deposited but a score of years ago, while remains so situated that they have been subjected to varying conditions of dryness and moisture are always in a fragmentary state. 
As previously noted, several more or less entire carcasses of the mammoth have been discovered in Siberia only to be lost. And while no entire animal has so far been found in Alaska, some day one may yet come to light. That there is some possibility of this is shown by the discovery, recorded by Mr. Dow, of the partial skeleton of a mammoth in the bank of the Yukon with some of the fat still present, and although this had been partially converted into adipose sear, it was fresh enough to be used by the natives for greasing not their boots, but their boats. And up to the present time, this is the nearest approach to finding a live mammoth in Alaska. As to why the mammoth became extinct, we know absolutely nothing, although various theories, some much more ingenious than plausible, have been advanced to account for their extermination. They perished of starvation. They were overtaken by floods on their supposed migrations and drowned in detachments. They fell through the ice, equally in detachments, and were swept out to sea. But all we can safely say is that long ages ago the last one perished off the face of the earth. Strange it is, too, that these mighty beasts, whose bulk was ample, to protect them against four-footed foes, and whose woolly coat was proof against the cold, should have utterly vanished. They ranged from England eastward to New York, almost around the world, from the Alps to the Arctic Ocean, and in such numbers that today their tusks are articles of commerce, and fossil ivory has its price current as well as wheat. Mr. Boyd Dawkins thinks that the mammoth was actually exterminated by early man, but even granting that this might be true for southern and western Europe, it could not be true of the herds that inhabited the wastes of Siberia, or of the thousands that flourished in Alaska and the western United States. So far as man is concerned, the mammoth might still be living in these localities where, before the discovery of gold drew thousands of miners to Alaska, there were vast stretches of wilderness wholly untrodden by the foot of man. Neither could this theory account for the disappearance of the mastodon from North America, where that animal covered so vast a stretch of territory that man, unaided by nature, could have made little impression on its numbers. That many were swept out to sea by the flooded rivers of Siberia is certain, for some of the low islands off the coast are said to be formed of sand, ice, and bones of the mammoth, and thence, for hundreds of years, have come the tusks which are sold in the market beside those of the African and Indian elephants. 
that man was contemporary with the mammoth in southern europe is fairly certain for not only are the remains of the mammoth and man's flint weapons found together but in a few instances some primeval landseer graved on slate ivory or reindeer antler a sketchy outline of the beast somewhat impressionistic perhaps but still like the work of a true artist preserving the salient features we see the curved tusks the snaky trunk and the shaggy coat that we know belong to the mammoth and we may feel assured that if early man did not conquer the clumsy creature with fire and flint he yet gazed upon him from the safe vantage point of some lofty tree or inaccessible rock and then went home to tell his wife and neighbors how the animal escaped because his bow missed fire that man and mammoth lived together in north america is uncertain so far there is no evidence to show that they did although the absence of such evidence is no proof that they did not that any live mammoth has for centuries been seen on the alaskan tundras is utterly improbable and on mr c h townsend seems to rest the responsibility of having though quite unintentionally introduced the alaskan live mammoth into the columns of the daily press it befell in this wise among the very duties of our revenue marine is that of patrolling and exploring the shores of arctic alaska and the waters of the adjoining sea and it is not so many years ago that the cutter corwin if memory serves aright held the record of farthest north on the pacific side on one of these northern trips to the kotzebue sound region famous for the abundance of its deposits of mammoth bones the corwin carried mr townsend then naturalist to the united states fish commission at cape prince of wales some natives came on board bringing a few bones and tusks of the mammoth and upon being questioned as to whether or not any of the animals to which they pertained were living promptly replied that all were dead inquiring in turn if the white men had ever seen any and if they knew how these animals so vastly larger than a reindeer looked footnote elephant point at the mouth of the buckland river is so named from the numbers of mammoth bones which have accumulated there End of footnote. fortunately or unfortunately there was on board a textbook of geology containing the well-known cut of the st petersburg mammoth and this was brought forth greatly to the edification of the natives who were delighted at recognizing the curved tusks and the bones they knew so well next the natives wished to know what the outside of the creature looked like and as mr townsend had been at ward's establishment in rochester when the first copy of the stuttgart restoration was made he rose to the emergency and made a sketch 
this was taken ashore together with a copy of the cut of the skeleton that was laboriously made by an inuit sprawled out at full length on the deck now the inuits as mr townsend tells us are great gadabouts making long sledge journeys in winter and equally long trips by boat in summer while each season they hold a regular fair on kotzebue sound where a thousand or two natives gather to barter and gossip on these journeys and at these gatherings the sketches were no doubt passed about copied and recopied until a large number of inuits had become well acquainted with the appearance of a mammoth a knowledge that naturally they were well pleased to display to any white visitors also like the celt the alaska native delights to give a soft answer and is always ready to furnish the kind of information desired thus in due time the newspaper man learned that the alaskans could make pictures of the mammoth and that they had some knowledge of its size and habits so with inference and logic quite as good as that of the tungusian peasant the reporter came to the conclusion that somewhere in the frozen wilderness the last survivor of the mammoths must still be at large and so starting on the pacific coast the live mammoth story wandered from paper to paper until it had spread throughout the length and breadth of the united states when it was captured by mr tukeman who with much artistic color and some realistic touches transferred it to mcclure's magazine and unfortunately for the officials thereof to the smithsonian institution and now once for all it may be said that there is no mounted mammoth to awe the visitor to the national collections or to any other and yet there seems no good and conclusive reason why there should not be true there are no live mammoths to be had at any price neither are there carcasses to be had on demand still there is good reason to believe that a much smaller sum than that said to have been paid by mr conradi for the mammoth which is not in the smithsonian institution would place one there footnote since these lines were written another fine example of the mammoth has been discovered in siberia and even now october nineteen o one an expedition is on its way to secure the skin and skeleton for the academy of natural sciences at st petersburg End of footnote. it probably could not be done in one year it might not be possible in five years but should any man of means wish to secure enduring fame by showing the world the mammoth as it stood in life a hundred centuries ago before the dawn of even tradition he could probably accomplish the result by the expenditure of a far less sum than it would cost to participate in an international yacht race references the mounted skeleton of the mammoth in the museum of the chicago academy of science is still the only one on exhibition in the united states 
This specimen is probably the southern mammoth, Elephas columbi, a species or race characterized by its great size and the coarse structure of the teeth. Remains of the mammoth are common enough, but, save in Alaska, they are usually in a poor state of preservation or consist of isolated bones or teeth. A great many skeletons of mammoth have been found by gold miners in Alaska, and with proper care some of these could undoubtedly have been secured. Naturally, however, the miners do not feel like taking the time and trouble to exhume bones whose value is uncertain, while the cost of transportation precludes the bringing out of many specimens. Some reports of mammoths have been based on the bones of whales, including a skull that was figured in the daily papers. Almost every museum has on exhibition teeth of the mammoth, and there is a skull, though from a small individual, of the southern mammoth in the American Museum of Natural History, New York. The tusk obtained by Mr. Beach and mentioned in the text still holds the record for mammoth tusks. The greatest development of tusks occurred in Eliphas ganesa, a species found in Pliocene deposits of the Siwalik Hills, India. This species appears not to have exceeded the existing elephant in bulk, but the tusks are 12 feet 9 inches long and 2 feet 2 inches in circumference. How the animal ever carried them is a mystery, both on account of their size and their enormous leverage. As for teeth, an upper grinder of Eliphas columbi in the United States National Museum is ten and one-half inches high, nine inches wide, the grinding face being eight by five inches. This tooth, which is unusually perfect, retaining the outer covering of cement, came from Afton, Indian Territory, and weighs a little over 15 pounds. The lower tooth, shown in figure 38, is 12 inches long, and the grinding face is 9 by 3 and 1 half inches. This is also from Eliphas Columbi. Grinders of the northern mammoth are smaller and the plates of enamel thinner and closer to one another. Mr. F. E. Andrews of Gunsight, Texas, reports having found a femur or thigh bone five feet four inches long and a humerus measuring four feet three inches, these being the largest bones on record indicating an animal fourteen feet high. There is a vast amount of literature relating to the mammoth, some of it very untrustworthy. A list of all discoveries of specimens in the flesh is given by Nordenskiold in The Voyage of the Vega, and The Mammoth and the Flood by Sir Henry Howarth is a mine of information. Mr. Townsend's Alaska Live Mammoth Story may be found in Forest and Stream for August 14, 1897.
End of chapter 10.